You are listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, a podcast created by the University of Edinburgh to debate and celebrate learning and teaching in higher education. This podcast complements the university's Teaching Matters blog and invites students and staff to engage in topical conversations. Episodes four and five accompany the Teaching Matters mini-series on academic blogging. In this fifth episode, our guest host Karen Howie, a co-editor on the academic blogging mini-series, leads a conversation with two University of Edinburgh staff members, Eli Appleby-Donald and Lorna Campbell, along with the doctoral student James Lamb, about blogging to enhance their professional practice. They chat about the art of blogging, the difference between various types of blogs, frequency of posts, maintaining and promoting a blog, how to deal with bloggers' blogs, and engaging with your audience. Happy listening. My name is Karen Howie. I am the Technology Enhanced Learning Manager in, in Digital Learning, Applications and Media um, section in Information Services, and I'm part of a team that have launched the Blogs.ed platform and that run the academic blog service. Could you introduce yourself and tell us about your role within the university? Hello, I'm James Lamb. I'm an ESRC-funded PhD student in the Centre for Research in Digital Education, and I also teach on the MSE in Digital Education programme as well. My name's Lorna Campbell. I work for the Open Education Resources Service in Information Services, and I'm also one of the team uh, that helps deliver the academic blogging service. Uh, I focus on delivering workshops about blogging to build your professional profile. I'm Eli Appleby-Donald. I work in Edinburgh College of Art, and I'm a learning technologist which means I support all online and in-classroom learning and teaching, which involves technology. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for coming. Um, can you tell us about your blogging history, please? When did you start blogging? How did you get started? I think I started blogging in 2007 or 2008, when I previously was working with high school students. And uh, I used the blogger service there, and I found that was a good way of helping to share information that kind of demystified the university application process and, and uh, university interviews for students in high schools. And from then, when I was teaching high school students who were looking to come into university, we also used blogging as a way for them to reflect on their experiences um, prior to entering higher education. So you've been blogging for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting looking back across the, the different blogs I've used to see how, how far back they go, although that's different from, from what I do now, which I guess I'll come on to talk about. Uh, so um, I had to check this morning how long I've been blogging because I couldn't remember, but I've been blogging since 2007 as well, so snap. Um, and I set up my first blog when I worked for an organisation called CETUS, which was the Centre for Education, Technology and Interoperability Standards. And that was a JISC-funded innovation support service where Karen actually worked at one stage too. Um, and we provided... Um, strategic direction to just development programs right across the UK. So blogging was one way uh, to really disseminate what we were doing. We also represented um, UK higher education and various international standards bodies. So it was a way to sort of communicate that work. But we also used our blogs to populate the main CETIS website. So the main CETIS website was actually an aggregated blog. So the front page or news page was aggregated from all our individual blogs. So it was a way, to, really good way to sort of keep that main website refreshed. So that's actually where I started. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit embarrassed to admit this, but I've been blogging, loosely speaking, for about 20 years. Um, yeah, it, it's not as cool as it sounds. I started off blogging was something I did because I was teaching myself to code. So I learned to build a blog. 
and then it was there, so I kind of had to put things in it to keep that going. And it pretty much, I just treated it like a journal. It was mostly just reflective and me just going meh on a page, and I don't know if anyone had ever even seen it. And seriously, though, as a blogger, I think it's been about 10 years now I've been blogging, uh, properly out there creating a community and you know, folk are actually reading this one, so I think that one counts more. And ironically, um, being you know in the team that have launched Blogs at Ed and who are um, who are part of the academic blogging service, I have been blogging for about four months. So <laughs> in comparison, I still have a, long, a lot of practice to do. Um, so now, you're, um, obviously, you're you're all all still blogging. Um, how do you use blogging, and what do you blog about? I think my use of, of blogging has, has has evolved since I started doing a PhD uh, three years ago. It's really focus very much now upon um, the research I'm doing and my other activities. So it's a place to, to try out ideas. I've used it as a place to show my, my supervisors that I'm doing some work and to show them what I'm thinking about. Uh, but it's also kind of become a bit of an online CV as well, where you know an important part of my work, I suppose, is telling people um, what I'm doing in my writing and my research. And uh, this this is a really good way of doing it. The blog's a good way of kind of getting my research out there. And it has led to introductions to come and speak at conferences. So, yeah, it's a case of, it gives me a place to work through my ideas. It helps me to develop my writing. The fact that you put your stuff out there forces me to be more precise than I might otherwise be. And it's also kind of like a, an extended online resume, if you like. Quite nicely onto you, Lorna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mine, mine's quite similar in a way. I mean, my blog is very much my um, my professional portfolio. It's where I sort of like curate my professional identity, um, and it's got all sorts of aspects of areas that I work in, not just education technology. I, uh, because of the nature of the domain that I work in, I've worked in uh, a lot of uh, short-term, very precarious contracts over the last sort of 20 years. Um, and I found that having my own blog, which I own on my own server space, is a really good way to sort of curate my professional practice when I'm sort of, in the past, I was quite often switching between contracts and jobs quite quickly. So it's a good way to keep everything in one place. So I've now got my um, all my papers, all my presentations, all my keynotes, um, my C, a sort of short version of my CV on there, but it's also where I do a lot of reflective practice as well, and I bring in sort of more sort of personal and political aspects of my work as well. So it's not it's not just focused on uh, my academic outputs. It's it's a bit more rounded than that. Oh, where do we start? Um, academic wise and work wise, I've only recently, and recently I mean maybe past three years, started using the blog for this. Um, and it was very much, it had a purpose. I had a blog so that I could get information out there for people that I couldn't get access to um, for one reason or another. And it gave them a place to go to find out about my thoughts and what I was recommending and things. And um, since then, I moved jobs. And I'm now struggling to find my purpose and my voice for my work blog because I don't need that element of having somewhere where people can contact me because it is I'm now in a job which is much, much more face-to-face. And um, so I just talk to people about things now. Um, but my boss was very keen for me to keep my digital footprint going. So I have my work blog out there and I'm, I'm still toying with it, let's say. So I haven't quite found my voice yet. It's a little bit reflective. It's a little bit instructional. I don't quite know where it's going to go. I enjoy reading your blog posts. Well, I'm glad someone does. Good looking at the stats. I wasn't sure if anyone did. 
Um, and your home blog? My home blog is a whole different kettle of fish. Um, that very much comes naturally to me, possibly because I've been doing it for a while now. I have a set community there, so I know who I'm speaking to and I know who I'm meant to be on that. Um, for instance, when we were introducing ourselves, I was struggling a bit because I thought, do I introduce myself as Eli, the blogger that folk will know from a gardening blog, and go, hey folks, it's Eli at D here, we are today, we're in the podcast room, and today we're talking blogging. Or do I be working Eli and go, hi, I'm Eli, I'm McDonald, <laughs> and I'm a learning technologist. So they're two very, very different personas that I have for different purposes. Um, my personal blog is very much, I have info you might find useful, and it's cool if you do, don't worry if you don't. It's much more friendly, it's informal, whereas for work, I do very much feel there's a persona of businessless that I have to hold. Um, and I, this is one of the things I was saying about I'm struggling a bit to find myself because my work blog has a great big Edinburgh University logo on it and I do find it's, it is affecting me. I'm, I'm very conscious of it all the time and I find it does affect what I'm willing to say on there. Maybe it shouldn't, but... These, these are things that I'd never considered before because, like I say on my personal blog, I very much can just put myself out there and it's not a problem. And you think it would be the opposite because my personal blog has a huge readership and has a YouTube channel which has spawned from that and I'm very, very out there and I'm aware of that. Um, and very much my family and friends are very aware of how much they're out there. Um, so it's a bit strange how these two blogs have collided in a way and the differences they've caused. I particularly like your recipe blog post as well, um, so I appreciate both of them. Excellent. Feel free to get suggestions in if you want. <laughs> um, so a general question for everyone. Do you think that blogging reg- regularly is important? Do you think that there needs to be a, you know, sort of an ideal number of times a year or a month that you should blog? Or is it just about keeping your, kind of, your community speaking to them regularly enough that, that they know that you're there and they don't forget about you. What, what do you think? Are there any sort of best practice tips? I think it depends, really. I think it's... I mean, my advice would be try and find something that, that works for you. I think it's got to be quite organic. Um, if there can be any sort of, like, personal element to it at all. And I think the best, best blogs do actually have a personal element to them. Um, so I don't think it's... I mean, I tend not to say to people, oh, try and blog once a month or try and blog you know, once a fortnight or something like that. Um, I mean, I, I quite often find that I might not blog at all for a couple of months. I mean, I might post three in one afternoon. It depends when I have the time. It depends when I've got something to say. Um, so I think it. I think it's just important to um, find your own voice and find what works with you. I don't get hung up on community and I pay no attention to blog stats. Um, I, I very much believe in... Uh, the benefits of writing for your own reflective practice. If other people engage with them, that's good. Um, I tend to do my engagement in other places off my blog, um, through other social media channels. I will sort of link to things I write through my blog that way, though. So I think sometimes it really just depends what you're writing. I mean, if you're writing for your own reflective practice, it doesn't really matter if anyone's reading it. You're the one getting the benefit from it. If you're writing to disseminate information, then obviously there there are different factors come into play. So I think it really depends what you're using your blog for. I think that's really true. And I think there is a thing that we're talking about blogs and we're talking about blogs for work and what have you. Generally, that's not how blogs are known. with this social media aspect out on the internet. And especially now we see a lot in the media about YouTubers and bloggers and how this is their job. For these guys, it is very, very important that they're putting stuff out regularly, at least weekly. 
because they have to hold that audience and hold that community in order to get any kind of income. However, if you're blogging to be reflective or to just have a place to write, or it's not that important. It's about having that space and being comfortable enough to do that. And when you put that pressure on yourself, it, it can impede on that and it will stop you writing. So I think it's about what is your blog for? Once you know its purpose, then you decide from there what you're going to do. So the fact that I only blog sporadically is probably not a major it's problem. Fine. Yeah, cool. It's fine. <laughs> it's the content, not the timing. Brilliant. Okay. I think it's the, um, for me, I think it's the, as Lorna says, it's about sharing something when mm. you've actually got something to say yeah. as opposed to I think probably when I started blogging in my head I had this imaginary audience that you think I need to be maintaining uh-huh, uh-huh. some kind of interest for them mm-hmm. and do you know really I don't suppose there's many people who are desperately hanging on to see what I have to say about learning spaces or <laughs> the use of sound as, as they should um, so it is a case of just thinking well what have you actually got to say um, rather than trying to artificially try and create yeah. something which I have been guilty of in the past and it's really interesting with today's interview, uh, the invitation to come and talk today prompted me to go back and have a look at what I'd shared in the past. And sometimes I didn't always have a lot to say, but I felt like I should be saying something for continuity. And I thought, well, actually, I don't really see that that's offering very much. And I think actually lowers the overall quality of what I had to say. So that was quite good in terms of going back and ripping stuff out. I think that's really true. It does lower the quality if you're doing it for the sake of it. So your advice is to make the best blocking you when you have something to say mm-hmm. make it the best quality and don't get too stressed about the fact that you you might go for a few weeks without blogging mm-hmm. well thanks for that advice <laughs> what do you think are the benefits to you um writing a blog do you think there are anything that you need to watch out for um, any challenges that you you face um, well, reflection for me is a massive benefit it's probably the only time i properly reflect is when i sit down and try and I was going to say put it on paper, but you know what I mean. I know <sighs> a negative um, experience with blogging, like a horrible comment. I, or... no, I have, and I do. I do get quite. I write. A, I do get quite political in my blogs sometimes. Not often, but I do. Um, I sometimes write about gender and sexuality and things like that as well. But to be honest, um, whenever I have put anything like that out there, the comments or the I don't get a lot of comments on my blog. I tend to get a lot of interaction on Twitter. Um, the feedback has always been really positive and really supportive, actually. I can't say I've ever had a negative experience related to my blog. I think only the the time it can take to, if you like, curate the content. For example, looking back at some of the things I would have said in 2014, and you put that out as kind of a record of that was my thinking, that's who I am. Now, you can't control necessarily how people will access mm. that, so people people may think that's your current thinking and so that then does take some time so you have to go back and think well actually is that still a good reflection of what I'm thinking at the moment so that involves time to go back and look over that and maybe you need to edit something to reflect your current thinking or perhaps you delete it that post or if you want to be absolutely true you might just might just leave it out there you know and, and in exactly the same way what I'm currently writing about now probably the 2020 version of this will look back and think oh lord what were you thinking about there <laughs> look at that haircut and you'll you know so there is there is a certain amount of time involved. So there is the sense that you've got lots and lots of content out there, but you might need to keep looking back at it to check if, mm-hmm. it, if it's still a good reflection of you, depending on how you actually want to use the blog itself. So it's something about a kind of curation of your digital footprint in some mm-hmm. respects. I think that's an awesome point to make, considering we're talking about academic blogging, because that's exactly the same thing with if you publish. It's out there and 
people may think that's your current thinking and you may have completely gone diff- down a different alleyway. But the beauty of a blog is you have everything in one place and you can now quickly put something out to say, this is what I'm doing now, this is what I'm... Oh, this okay. article here, here's a link, that's not what I'm thinking now. You don't necessarily have it as easy when it's published. Yeah. Or in traditional sense. But paper, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but you can't change your mind. Um, do you think that blogging enables you to bridge a gap that you feel exists in other platforms? So you talked a little bit already about um, the, the, particular, you just mentioned the fact that you can revise your opinions on things, but does it enable you to share things that you couldn't otherwise or in a more efficient way? I think certainly in the domain that I work in, it's in open education, it's the main way of sharing things. So the main, I think, the there's a there's a large um, and very active uh, really a global community of open edu- educators who are very active on social media and particularly through blogs and on Twitter and that's really where the main academic work takes place. I mean people, there's a lot of scholarly research goes on as well in, in the domain of open education and people publish books and journal papers but really the main kind of, the main work goes on on blogs, that's where the main thinking is and you can see people's thinking evolving through blogs and um, through social media so kind of for me it's sort of it's it's the main place where 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 open education happens really. I think for me there's something I've been made aware of recently that I think is a fantastic example of using a blog in academic sort of ways and Professor Richard Coyne at the School of Architecture has a blog he's a very very prolific blogger every week he has content out but what he is doing with that is he's content out, he's constantly thinking, reflecting, trying new ideas, receiving feedback on ideas. And all of this works towards his publishing, his papers, his books. And you'll actually find quite a lot of what he blogs about will appear in a, another form later on published. Yeah. And this bridges his gap of it's it's a place to write and to think and to just mull over thoughts and ideas. Yeah, and I certainly see that in open education as well. A lot of the thinking that goes on in blogs does sort of feed into... Uh, more formal academic outputs as well. It's a way of getting something out there quickly, efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can see it very quickly. You don't wait two years for rounds of edits and peer it's, review and stuff. It's network scholarship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. So Eli, you talked already about the different voices that you've developed for your, your different blogs. Um, Lorna, um, James, can you think, uh, have you per- developed a particular voice for your blog and why? Ooh, I'm... I suppose, I mean, I suppose I have. My voice on my blog is a bit unfiltered. <laughs> I get a bit sweary at times. Um, but I, um, on the one hand, I totally appreciate sort of keeping different blogs for different things. And actually, I write on lots and lots of different blogs as well as my own one. But my voice is more or less the same across all of them. And it's kind of, um, yeah, I think that's, that's part of the authenticity of who I am. It's, and I think, again, to some extent that is related to the domain I work in, open education practice and the whole of that sort of open education space. There is a sort of like, I think you do have to bring some of yourself to that. Um, so I tend not to sort of divide up my kind of like my work voice from my personal voice. You have a single blog and it has a variety of different kind of themed posts on it. Yeah, I do. I kind of, I actually, I link to other blogs from my, from my main blog. So my main blog is called Open World and I link from there to various other blogs. So I've got a naval history blog. I've got the Fen Ed Tech blog. 
various sort of institutional blogs that post onto as well. If I'm writing for a different blog, I always copy back onto my main blog, so I've just got a record of that. But I don't think there's a massive difference in terms of the voice that I use to write across these different platforms. Um, and I know that, uh, and that's very much my choice, I know that other people will you know, keep things quite separate and quite com- compartmentalised. But that's kind of what I found has worked best for me over the years. I've actually found it really hard to find the right voice. And I think particularly when you're writing about different subjects or as you, your thinking changes or your work changes, you think you have to think, well, you're kind of writing for a different audience. Um, so I think over time I've become more relaxed in, in the way I write on my, my blog. And I think previously I was probably working too hard to make it look scholarly, where now I realise it's different. It's, it doesn't have to be overly scholarly. It's not like a journal article or a book chapter. Uh, and as you say, Lord, I think some of the most engaging blogs are those which have a kind of a human touch mm. to them, or a human yeah. touch, like a personal touch. Yeah. But they're all human touch. <laughs> or are they? Ah. <laughs> I think, yeah, if you can get the personality coming through, I think that makes a lot of blogging a lot more engaging. I think so. And, and looking back over some of my more recent blog posts, um, they are, they're much shorter and they're much more to the point and I think when I was previously writing blog posts, I was trying to be too defensive. I was aware of mm. who might be reading it and trying to cover every base. And then all of a sudden you've written like a 2,000 word blog post, which for me kind of misses the point mm. of the blog. That, prob- that writing should probably go elsewhere really validly. Uh, by trying to be too defensive and think about answering everyone's questions and all the people who different might, might want to read it, it actually just becomes a bit of a splurge of too many different points. So now it tends to be just a few or maybe one single point um, with a nice picture or a video to make it pretty. So I think I'm still in your previous phase where I'm asking other people to read over my blog posts and check to make sure that they look okay and you're writing what the Swedes are doing. for peer review. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so right, I need to loosen up a little bit. That, that's good advice as well. We've already mentioned, well, Eli, you and I talked about getting writer's block. Um, do you get writer's block? Is it a regular thing? And how do you overcome it? Are there any times that you just wake up and think, I don't know what to, to write about? I think because I blog quite infrequently, it's not something that has bothered me too much because I, I haven't got, like I say, schedule of things that I write about. Um, I, one of the one of the things, oh, sometimes writing can be a bit more sticky. I think what I tend to find is that it's more that I know I want to write about a topic, but I'm not quite sure what I want to say about it. So I just start writing, just see what comes out. And I'm not very precise in my first drafts. Like if you ever see a first draft of anything I write, it's barely written in English. I mean, honestly, it's <laughs> utterly incomprehensible. And I just go back and work it. I know some people prefer to blog in one go, whereas I will actually sort of work at things a wee bit. Not get too obsessed with them, but just until I find what it is I want to say. But one of the other things I do sometimes, if I haven't really got anything else to say, is, is quite often um, when I um, go to events, I do a lot of live tweeting at events, I always try and write short blog posts about events I've been to. Sometimes I just um, curate tweets that I've written from an event. And that's, again, it's about part of this kind of building a portfolio. So sometimes I put content like that on my blog, which doesn't really involve a great deal of brain power to put it together, but it's still a, it's still a useful thing to have to for your own benefit to have there and it just it's all part of that writing process so i think all writing is good writing really it's it's all part of that practice i haven't had writers blog per se what i do find difficult is actually just writing the first sentence of a blog post i say i don't have a writer's blog in the sense that as lorna said 
I tend to write when I've got something to say anyway, mm. so that's not so much of a problem. But every time I open a, a new blog post, you know, I find the first sentence really difficult. If I say one more time, earlier today I was talking about <laughs> Once upon a time. <laughs> once upon a time there was. However, I'm realistic and not assuming that anyone is reading through each of my different blog posts in a row and it's going to pick me up on repetition. So in a sense, <laughs> it doesn't matter because for me a blog post is something that's quite discreet. It's, it's going to be seen on its own and I won't probably do something else, something again for maybe a month or, or so beyond that. Excellent. I think the point on that, as you were saying, you don't suffer from writer's block because you write when you have something yeah. to say. Yeah, I think uh-huh. I put a lot of pressure on myself uh-huh. recently uh-huh. about I should be setting an example academic blog and I'm yeah. selling this to other people I should be doing I this. think it's really hard to blog if you've got mm, that yeah. kind of pressure. And funnily enough, you know, when I said that um, I set up my blog in 2007 when I worked with CETUS, we were actually told we had to blog. Our director decided that we would all blog about a couple of years previous to that. And because we were told we had to do it, very few of us did, including him. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think blogging quite often takes a, f- a few false starts and it's not something you can force. It's really not something you can force. So I can, I can absolutely appreciate that. If you feel you have to be doing it, yeah, that it, can be- it does. It can become a real block. So the advice there is blog when you feel that you have something to say. And yeah, and just be kind of, yeah, don't be pressuring yourself. Just, just let it come and experiment. Just mm-hmm. play around until you find something that works for you. And that first sentence um, problem you talked about, James, is something I always, no matter what I'm writing, that first sentence is always the hardest bit to write, isn't it? I had to laugh because I recognise that first (laughs) sentence because I use it a lot too. (laughs) The other one I quite often use is, I'm not very sure what I'm trying to say here, but. (laughs) So, do you know who your audience are? I mean, Lorna, you've obviously already said that you write for for yourself and having Mm -hmm. other people read your blog Mm -hmm. posts is like an extra yeah, um, uh-huh. advantage um, or a nice little bonus but do you know who your audience are do you get much communication from them how do you know who they are i mean my, like i said my, my audience is primarily the um the community of uh, open education's um the open education community and learning technologists so that's a very broad community and it's absolutely not confined to either this institution or even to the uk um, there's a very international um, community on Twitter who I engage with regularly, and yeah, I mean that that's that's very much my that my main audience, and it's sort of like I communicate with them through both my blog and Twitter, and that's a step where I tend to find that the conversations happen on Twitter rather than on comments on the blog. But the blog is where you actually do the writing. Neil, you talked already about the audience of your kind of home. Blog. Yeah, I'm very very aware of the community around my, uh, we were trying to struggle what to call it, my lifestyle blog, I think we settled on, sort of, um, because I have deliberately put time into looking into that. My work one, I have no idea who would want to read the stuff that comes out of my head on me. <laughs> Apparently you are my audience, Karen, so yeah. But I think it is really interesting to look at them in different terms, though, because again, it's that pressure thing of expectation. You know, How are you expected to behave as a, a blogger out in the blogosphere. Um, you're expected to think about your community, react to your community, um, put some of your, your yourself, your personality out there to them. Um, and yet we're sitting here and Lorna's going, ah, no, you know, this is all just free flow to me. She looks a lot less stressed than I do. 
<laughs> so I think, yeah, I think at the end of this, maybe I'll go away and say, do you know what? Blogging's something you're meant to do because you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. get rid of all these things that are stressing you out. Yeah, and yet it's awesome that on a daily basis, I have people from all over the world getting in touch and asking things and, and telling me stories and giving me ideas and in some cases telling me what an inspiration I've been and I've made big differences to their lives. Um, and in other cases, approached me in the street and recognised me, which was as lovely as it was, and I really appreciated it. It was a bit freaky because I did not know this person and they seemed to know me really well. <laughs> um, so, yes, community, I suppose, is, it may just be you and your screen. But that's okay if that's if you're writing for you. It sounds like you've got quite an interactive um, audience. Yes, for your very much blog. so. And I've learned from that. I've had to make changes along the way in how I do things because it was getting very close to the point. I wasn't sure if I could keep doing that and working. And I don't want my blog and my YouTube channel to be what I do for a living mm. because I do think then it does affect your content because you have to churn it out. And I don't want to be one of those people. So I've had to take steps to try and merge what had organically been two communities to bring them together into one and make only one place where they communicate with me. And it does seem very much like people would rather not write a comment to me on the blog. I get much less mm-hmm. of that. They'd rather email me personally yeah. or speak to me personally through YouTube, which is quite interesting. I, I find certainly when um, when people start out blogging, they can be quite anxious about this idea that they'll get a lot of negative comments in their blog. I, I usually what I say to people is, you're going to get tumbleweed. I mean, really comments and blogs are in the whole sort of open education community I know some like really prolific high profile bloggers and of all of them I maybe know two who get many comments on their blog it's it's blogs are not a good medium to have that conversation and I think that's where other social media channels come in really useful and let's be honest if you get negativity in the real world you ignore it so why do you have to pay attention to it on Twitter just delete them so uh, Lorna, you already mentioned that you, I mean, effectively you use Twitter to promote your blog post and then a conversation happens on Twitter. Yeah. Do James, Eli, do either of you have any other um, mechanisms for getting your, your, your blog posts out there into the world? Yeah, what I tend to do is if I have, if let's say if I'm attending a conference or I've got a piece of work that's about to be published, I'll write about it in reasonable length on the blog and then I'll tweet about it, but I'll just link the two together which seems a really obvious thing to do. And I think it's really helpful if you're about to go and do, a, say, a conference presentation or another form of presentation. Um, if you want to reach a wider audience, it's great to be able to say, I'll be talking about this later today in this particular place, so there's a bit of nice self-promotion there. But then you might be able to link to your slides or your references or whatever it is that you want to do there. You're able to extend that presentation to a much wider audience because the blog allows you to put that wee bit more content in. Um, but in the first instance, Twitter is a great place in terms of uh, helping people see that, um, see what's happening and taking that work out to a wider kind of network of people, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. I've connected my social media channels. So firstly, I split them off. I had to do this one as work and this one as my blog one because it was getting very mixed up and folk were just being piled with stuff they necessarily weren't interested in. Um, but I do have Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and blog all connected and I share all of that and talk to everyone through each of those. And then I also have a separate uh, work Twitter feed for just generally my thoughts on anything to do with education and stuff. And for work blogs, they go out on that. Well, I'm lying, actually. They started going out on that one, and I kind of stopped doing it because I'm a bit embarrassed about my lack of content. So I haven't published on there any of my blogs in a while. 
That's the theory. <laughs> Sounds if it's like a good theory. So do, do any of you think that blogging has impacted your work and your career? And if so, what, in what ways has it impacted them? Well, we're here. Yeah, <laughs> oh, mass, massively. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's like I said earlier. I mean, my my blog is my my whole academic portfolio. I mean, that's that's where my work is. So it's. Um, Certainly, as um, I mean, I've been here in Edinburgh for a while now. But prior to coming here, when I was moving around quite a lot, that was my my whole portfolio. That was basically, you know, when I wrote job applications, that was what I pointed everyone to. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been massively important, I think, for for my career. Yeah, I've sometimes spent as long as a day on a blog post, writing blog post, which is time has felt at the time has felt absolutely ridiculous. It's felt like this is way too much um, time being invested in in something that maybe a limited number of people will be able to see. But then subsequently, some of those same posts have been cited in journal articles mm-hmm. or uh, have led to in, uh, invitations to go and visit other places, speak at other universities, attend conferences or speak at conferences. So in that sense, there's actually been a really good investment mm-hmm. in terms of getting your work out there. And the ideas were probably forming in my head anyway. So it's quite good to be able to, you know, to articulate them, get them out there and help them work a wee bit more for you as opposed to just keeping your ideas in your head and maybe getting them on on the screen on the paper actually putting them out there publicly then can really kind of help in terms of helping your exposure or introduce you to new people yeah absolutely i mean it's it's hard to underestimate the importance that a blog can have in amplifying your career like that and uh, you know as you say particularly in terms of you know if you are doing a lot of public speaking it's hugely beneficial to use uh, your blog to think through your ideas to advertise talks you might be doing um I mean, i've had keynote invitations as a result of things i've written on my blog and i also actually if i so i don't always write presentations when i'm speaking because sometimes i just talk to slides but if i'm doing a pretty long presentation i might actually write it or a keynote i'll write it and i post a transcript on my blog as well so it starts to curate all that stuff too something else i found helpful is that when i've been doing research around assessment, which is quite a sensitive area of the mm. students and the staff, and I've been trying to encourage lecturers and students to take part in my research. It's been really helpful to be able to link from my email or my introduction, however it is, to my website or to the blog, just mm. so that the potential participants in my research will be so important to what I want to do, can actually get a sense of who I am, and really this is how I'm going to be using the data and that I can be trusted. Whereas if it's if it's me just speaking and I don't have that kind of extra context, if you like, it might be that little bit more difficult to get people on board. I think it's that thing of everybody's different. Everyone does things in different ways. For some people, they may find your work through a blog that they would never have come across you before. So it's that extra opportunity to network. That's so it's opening, opening mm-hmm. doors to places that... It's open practice. practice. Yeah, <laughs> open education <laughs> practice. Um, so I have one last question. So thank you for um, answering all my questions so far. I have one last question. So do you have any advice for people thinking about starting to blog in a professional capacity that I like and <laughs> Chill. <laughs> you can always delete it, change it, recolour it, make it prettier, rename it, change your tone. It is not permanent. It's a big experiment. So try it out. So Enjoy it. Nah, you're fine. <laughs> Promise we won't write anything nasty in the comments. But we are all now going to go and hunt and find your blog. 
Yeah, no, I, I think just um, don't stress about it. And also, uh, if it doesn't work first time, don't worry about it. You 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 can trash your blog and start again. Who says what works and what doesn't anyway? Exactly. And you know, tend to find that most people who have got successful blogs, you won't see the air quotes I did there. <laughs> <laughs> air quotes, successful. Um, will have very several, you know, false starts before they get to the successful blog. And I think it's absolutely fine. Just just keep trying until you find something that works for you. Um, and and just focus on that, something that works for you first. Don't worry about audience, don't worry about who's gonna read it. Just find something that is enjoyable for you to write. And I think once you get that it all starts to flow from there and you'll then start to get some kind of rhythm and figure out what you want your blog to be and who you want to be speaking to and what you want to say. So just try and let it grow organically, I think would be my sort of advice. I think I'll probably have two bits of advice and this is learning from experience, things I haven't always done very well, but would be to try and keep things as succinct as possible and I've talked before, touched on before that Sometimes I was trying to be too defensive in writing a blog post or trying to cover too many bases. So trying to be succinct and um, trying to be precise, I think, is really helpful. And the other point, as we've, we've talked about quite a lot this morning, is writing when you've actually got something to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I could give two examples of blog posts. One from one of my colleagues in digital education, Ben Williamson, who's got what's called a Codex um, WordPress site. And he writes about learning analytics. And you know going on to his blog that everything that there is, is there is going to be interesting and relevant. And there's another site I go to by somebody called Adam Wood who writes about architecture and education. And again, there's a guarantee that he's only going to write something when he's got something meaningful to say. So you're guaranteed every time you, you look into his, into his blog or his website that it's going to be uh, a good use of your time. So write when you've got something to say. Actually, a couple of things that you guys have just made me think about. People who are struggling to write, especially if you're used to writing in academia and you're trying to change that style, step away from the computer and write on your phone. Let predictive texting ruin everything you're doing because it will relax you and it will change your tone as you blog. But also, and this one I think has come about when Lauren was talking about, her blog is um, a collection of all of her thoughts and her tweets and everything that's happening. So I think for anyone who fancies that style of thing, if James wants to talk about live stream blogging, it might be a good thing for him. It might be something he might enjoy. Uh, I did a little bit of live stream blogging for a course that James was a teacher on. I had never heard of it before then. So, on you go, James. Live stream blogging. Right. I have to gather my thoughts on this now. Well, put him on the spot now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, live, live stream blogging is quite interesting. It's something we use in um, a course called Education and Digital Cultures, which is part of the MSc in Digital Education. And... The idea there is that we don't necessarily have lots of lengthy blog posts, but that what you're doing is you're bringing together, you're curating lots of different types of digital content. So you might be feeding lots of different types of digital digital content that you interact with during the course of a, a week or across a term or a semester, and then you're just putting smaller, shorter comments. So the idea is it's like a what you might describe as a like a commonplace book or a digital mm-hmm. scrapbook that it isn't just necessarily about very conventional, very wordy blog posts. It can have that, but that's interspersed with maybe some video content with just smaller bits of contextual information. And so for people who aren't necessarily all that confident about their writing or find that that's not the, simply not the best way of putting their ideas across, something like a live stream blog where you can, live stream blog where you can bring in lots of different types of content, whether it's visual or sound content, 
just gives you a different way of representing your ideas. Or even it's just that bookmarker. If you happen to have a nice idea one day you've tweeted, if you hashtag that tweet so that it gets picked up, you can then go back at a later date and, and pad that out if you want when you're in a space to write about it. So it's kind of like collecting your thoughts um, as they come to you yeah. and then you can go back later and pull them all I together. I love digital scrapbook, I think it's pretty good. Which I think is what a lot of blogs are as well. I mean, that's, that's certainly very much how I use mine. But I think maybe one other bit of advice I would have would be um, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. I think a lot of people, will, and again, it can sense sort of this pressure that some people can get quite hung up on what if I put it out there and it's not good enough? And honestly, it doesn't matter. It's a blog, it really doesn't matter. Just put anything out there. Let's be honest, really everybody else matter. is thinking that as well. Yeah, aha, aha. It, it's, it doesn't matter. And you can always go back and change things. It can, you know, blogging can be a very disposable means of communication. I mean, I tend to keep everything because it, it is my kind of like, it's my whole kind of like academic life. But, um, you know, you, you can change things, you can delete things, just, just get stuff out there. It's fine. Well, thank you all for speaking to me and for all that helpful advice. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Karen.